Okay, so, what well, as I said just now, I've been here for, well, 10 years ago, this time of year, 10 years ago, Rachel and I had a real sense of expectation. A real sense that God was moving us in our lives. God was moving in our lives. And we lived at the time, not here, we lived in Alton, a small town in the, at the top of Hampshire. We've been there for... Oh, Mike, you're a star, thank you. There we are. Hello. <laughs> That's so he doesn't worry during the, uh, the entire preach. <laughs> Which is, I entirely understand. <laughs> Um, so we'd lived there for a good number of years, we brought up our daughters there, uh, and we had a real sense that God was moving us on. And six months later, we're in Weymouth. So we've been nine and a half years in Weymouth. There's a real sense around that time, ten years ago, of expectation. God was going to do something. Change of location, change of work, as in became self-employed, so lots of different changes, and obviously got involved in Weymouth Family Church at the time. Sense of expectation. Then God did something in our lives and moved us on. And there was some impossibility around that. You know, self-employed, working for myself, moving, mortgages. You know, we looked at that and we thought, that's not necessarily going to happen. But amazingly, God moved in that and we got that sorted. Weymouth Family Church, right now, has a sense of expectation. Mick talked about that last week. And he talked about it other times as well. We've got a real sense of expectation that God is doing stuff. God is going to be doing things in this church. And God is going to do what is humanly impossible. You know, we're talking about growth. We're talking about more people coming in. We're talking about doing church differently, as you know, Mick talked about that last week. And a lot of these things we look at, and Elaine made an interesting point. Have we got the skills to do church? Yeah, that's also a rhetorical question, because God's, we've got the Holy Spirit, so we've got everything we need. Yeah. Um, but, you know... So we look around and we can feel some of these things are impossible humanly. But we have a real sense of expectation. And that is why we're looking at Isaiah 61. And we'll be looking at Isaiah 61 over the next uh, three months. Because it's an amazing prophecy. And it's an amazing prophecy of what God's got in store for his people. Isaiah 61 was given to the people of Israel at the time. They were, uh, they were captives. They were in, they were in Babylon. They were in exile. So a lot of the things that were in Isaiah 61, I'm going to read it to you. I'm not going to put the words on the screen. You can probably hear Isaiah 61 quite a lot over the next few weeks as we go through it. So this time, if you want to close your eyes and listen, that's great. Okay, I will trust that you're not asleep. It would help if you opened your eyes at the end, so I know, but that's fine. You know, if you want to concentrate on my entire preach with your eyes closed, I understand. I do that sometimes. Isaiah 61. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me. Because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness for the prisoners. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favour and the day of vengeance of our God. To comfort all who mourn. And to provide for those who grieve in Zion. To bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes. The oil of joy instead of mourning. And a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. 
They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. Strangers will shepherd your flocks. Foreigners will work your fields and vineyards. And you will be called priests of the Lord. You'll be named ministers of our God. You will feed on the wealth of nations and in their riches you will boast. Instead of your shame, you'll receive a double portion. And instead of disgrace, you will rejoice in your inheritance. And so you will inherit a double portion in your land. And everlasting joy will be yours. Isaiah 61, which we're going to be going through in the next three months or so. To explore and to be open to God moving in our lives. In order to see his church built. At the end of the day, it's his church. As we've already said, we've got everything we need to do church. We've got the Holy Spirit. And the great words that came this morning, mm-hmm. uh, and they all, almost, I didn't need to preach really, because actually they all line up very much with what I'm saying. It's easy to say that sometimes, because yeah, at the end of the day, you talking about God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit. So, but actually, sometimes, you know, mm-hmm. sometimes it really lines up. And they were great words that were brought by people. They all lined up. So we're a people of expectation. And 2,000 years ago, the Jews were a people of expectation. They still are. But 2,000 years ago, when Jesus was walking the earth, the Jews were a people of expectation. They had prophecies like this that they were looking to. Mm. They had come back. The remnant of them had come back from Babylon. They had re-established the kingdom to a certain extent. They had rebuilt the temple. Uh, they had um, rebuilt Jerusalem. They were, there was some element of restoration that had already happened. But in Jesus' time, they were subject to the Romans. And they were waiting. They were people of expectation. They were clinging to words like this because they were wanting to be that people of God that they had been promised. God's chosen people. Right back in the time of Abraham. So they were a people of expectation. And they had prophecies like this one and like others. And prophecies are a tricky one sometimes because it's not always entirely clear what it means. You can think, well, what's actually God saying through this particular prophecy? Well, we have a real advantage with Isaiah 61 because it's already been interpreted to us. And it's been interpreted in the New Testament, in Luke 4. So let's just spend some time thinking about Luke 4 and, and, and Jesus talking about Isaiah 61. So Jesus, obviously, born in Bethlehem. Oh, we've got a technical issue. Okay, thank you. This will now work with the device over there. So Jesus, we've just celebrated Christmas, haven't we? Reminding us, Jesus' birth, Bethlehem. Born to Mary and Joseph. There we are. We're now, we're now connected. Went to, uh, to live in Nazareth. Up to about 30 years of age. 
went into the desert to be tempted by the devil, was baptised by John the Baptist in the River Jordan, and he was, as I said, brought up and regularly part of the community in Nazareth. And he regularly went to the synagogue in Nazareth. And in Luke 4, it talks about this. It says, he went to Nazareth. This is Jesus. He went to Nazareth, where he'd been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. Sabbath day, as was the custom, you went to synagogue. Every week, you went to synagogue. And they did a bit of reading of the prophets, maybe a bit of prayer. And... You know, it's a bit like here. I mean, the, probably the size of the... We don't know how big the synagogue was, but realistically, it's probably not a similar size to this. Mm-hmm. 30, 40, 50 people. Communities back then were very small. The population was a lot smaller. You know, Weymouth and Portland, 60,000 people. That was a mammoth city in those days. Mm-hmm. Typically, villages might be a few hundred people. So the synagogue, maybe 30, 40, 50 people. And they did the same thing every week. Every week they came together. We do the same thing every week here. You know, mm-hmm. someone comes at 9 o'clock to open up. The worship team come and they practice, and the AV team come and set up, and a bit later on, 10 o'clock, people start coming in, someone makes the coffee for after. Then as the, the service starts about half 10, and there's normally someone opening in, and we do the same thing every week. And back then, in Jesus' time, in the synagogue, they would have done the same thing every week. It would have gone on a regular pattern, a regular pattern doing the same thing. Yeah. Same thing, people always dribbling just after start time. Would have been the same back then, I'm sure. So Jesus wasn't doing anything different. And he was the room he was in there, he was the people there were people he knew. We've been here ten years. We know a lot of you. We've known some of you for ten years, some for less. Probably everybody in that room, Jesus would have known. Some of them would have been extended family. They weren't strangers to him. He wasn't just strange to them. So on the Sabbath day, does this work? He went into the synagogue, as was his custom. And he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. We don't know whether he chose it. We don't know whether Jesus said, I'll have that one, please. Or whether that was the regular reading. And unrolling it, he found the place where it's written. So he found... Isaiah 61. Of course, it wasn't called Isaiah 61 back then. It didn't have numbers. All the verse numbers and chapter numbers were added later to make it easier for us. Don't know how they managed those days. The Spirit of the Lord, of the Sovereign Lord, is on me. Or in the Luke's version, the Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me. Proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom from the, for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Just an average synagogue Sabbath day. Something changed. Something happened. Something. There was something different. He rolled up the scroll. Gave it back to the attendants and sat down. Now, I love the, the Gospel of Luke, which we're reading from today, because uh, I'm a bit of a historian, and I, I like reading history books, but I particularly like history books where, where you're reading stuff that was written by somebody at the time, 
You're reading someone's journal, someone's letters, because you can't get any closer to what actually happened than reading somebody's original material rather than interpretation by history. And Luke, Luke at the start of his gospel says he's made a thorough investigation. He's spent time investigating. He's not just writing down what he's heard about Jesus. And there are stories in Luke that aren't anywhere else. There's all the background to um, John the Baptist's birth, for example. There's a story of Jesus' presentation at the temple to Simeon and Anna. And he writes that Mary pondered these things in her heart. The coming of the shepherds and stuff like that. And that tells me, now this is me, I'm not saying this is right, but to me this says Luke was very, very close to that. Now he wasn't there, but did he talk to Mary? Did he get these stories from Mary? If not, he certainly got them from someone very close. So there's a real sense to me of being, being there with Jesus, being there in the synagogue as he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant. And the eyes of everyone were fastened... <coughs> sorry, the eyes of everyone were fastened on him. And he began by saying, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Boom! Yeah. Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Just another Sabbath... Synagogue day. Mm -hmm. But today, Jesus is saying, today, this scripture is fulfilled. You are the people of expectation. You've been waiting for 400 years plus. Today, it's fulfilled. You can't say that and not expect a reaction from people. Okay, yes, that's very nice, Jesus. When's coffee? What's the lunch when I get home? You can't do that. Jesus is provoking a reaction there. And these are people, remember, who knew him. And they start by saying, yeah, you all, all, all spoke well of him. Uh, they're amazed at his gracious words. Yeah, we, we know Jesus. Jesus is a good guy. You know, we've, we've known him for a good few years. He's a nice chap. I don't know if he's actually ever done anything wrong, but, you know, he's not, but he can't be perfect, can he? Because no one's perfect. Um, but, uh, uh, yeah, we know this Jesus. Isn't he Joseph's son? Yeah, Joseph's son. Yeah, we know him. He's, a, he's just one of us. He's a Nazareth. Nothing good comes from Nazareth. That's what Nathaniel says elsewhere. Um, Nazareth has a bit of a reputation, I think. Well, can anything good come from Nazareth? He's just one of us. And then they, they turn on him. I mean, Jesus does, does sort of provoke them a bit, if you like. He says, surely you'll quote this proverb, physician, heal yourself. Tell me, do in your hometown what you heard I did in Capernaum. So they've obviously heard a bit about what he's been up to. Um, uh, and it talks about no prophet being accepted in his hometown. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of town, and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off a cliff. The cliff. But he walked right through the cloud. Crowd. Not the cloud. <laughs> he walked right through the crowd and was on his way. They took him up a hill to throw him off a cliff. You don't throw someone off a cliff just to say, hey, you okay down there? They threw him off a cliff to kill him. Did anybody else ever take Jesus up a hill to kill him? 
this, this, if you like, this is a pocket illustration of Jesus' entire ministry. Jesus comes and says, today, in your hearing, the scripture is fulfilled. He's identifying with the prophets. He's identifying with the characters in the Old Testament on whom God had put his spirit. And God put his spirit onto um, Joshua, Gideon, people like that, Ezekiel, Isaiah. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me. Jesus is saying, he's identifying with these heroes of the Jewish nation. But he's going a step beyond that. He's saying, this is fulfilled. Now, he's not saying, by the way, I'm the Messiah, I'm the chosen one. You know, Jesus wasn't, he didn't do that. A bit later on uh, in, in Luke, uh, he says to Peter, to the disciples, he says, who do the crowds say I am? And the, and the, the crowds say, um, well, some of them say you're John the Baptist, some of them say you're Elijah. Um, Jesus says, who do you say I am? You're the Christ. The Christ of God, you're the Messiah. Well, what does Jesus say to them? Does he say, go on, go and tell everybody else then. Now you know, you've worked it out, well done. No, he doesn't say that. He says, don't tell anybody. Because the revelation that Jesus is the Messiah is so big and it's so huge and it's so life-changing that it's not something that can be just done. It takes time. But Jesus has provoked them and he did take him up a hill. And then he walks through the crowd. And so there's a pocket illustration of his entire ministry because his entire ministry is talking about the kingdom of God and making it, and people more and more come to realise, yes, Jesus is the Messiah. Or is he? Because you're either for him or you're against him. And at the end of his ministry, three years later, they're taken by hell again. And they crucify him. But hang on, back in Nazareth, he walked through the crowd. They went to kill him and he walked through the crowd. And then three years later, what's changed? Jesus allowed that crowd to take him to the place of crucifixion. He had demonstrated in Nazareth, I can just walk through this crowd. Yeah, I could call upon legions of angels, and the devil says you can call upon legions of angels to rescue you. I don't need that, and I could just walk through the crowd. But there, when he went to the cross, in the Garden of Gethsemane, he could just walk through the crowd. But he chose instead to walk through death for you, and you, and you, and me. It was absolutely his choice. Jesus chose to do that for us. So we can't just look at Jesus and say, well, he's a nice chap from history. Someone referred to that. He's not just a historical figure. No, you can't. You're absolutely right. You can't, you can't do that. He's not just a nice chap from history. You either look at Jesus and say, yes, Jesus, you are the Messiah. You are my Lord. You are my Savior. Or you go the other way. However you express that. So I don't know where you all are today. I'm guessing most of you probably have familiar faces. Lots of Christians here, which is great. Make that choice, don't we? Is Jesus our Lord and our Savior? You know, that's the challenge that, that uh, Peter puts to the crowds uh, in, the, uh, in Acts 2, and they, they, he, he has potted version of the story, the gospel, and, they, and they, they, they cry out, What do we must what must we do to be saved? Repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And that is the same for all of us today. And that happen, that can happen in an instant, it's a choice from us individually.
But yes, that story of Jesus at Nazareth and take, going to the synagogue and talking about scripture being fulfilled in the hearing, that's, a, that's an illustration of the rest of Jesus' ministry. But of course, he didn't stay dead, he rose from the dead. Yeah, hallelujah to that. So Jesus gives us some insight into Isaiah 61. Because the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me. Let's talk a little bit about this spirit. The spirit of God appears right at about the beginning. The spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Back in Genesis. Genesis 1 verse 2. Now this spirit isn't a thing. The spirit isn't a magical power. The spirit isn't a, it's not like a force in Star Wars. The spirit is a person. The person of the Holy Spirit. We worship a God in three persons. A God, the Father. God, the Son. God, the Holy Spirit. And some might say, well, how is that logically possible? How can you have one God who's three persons? One and three, that doesn't work. I, I can't believe in a God like that. Well, this God created the universe and he created logic. So that's not an issue for me. And if you say, well, I can't believe in that God and I, I believe in mankind being inherently good, I'm saying that to me is logically impossible because I look at the world around me every day and I cannot see mankind being inherently good. That is logically impossible. So the Spirit was right there at the beginning. The Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. The same Holy Spirit we have already had talked this morning some of the words people brought about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's been mentioned a lot. We talk about the Holy Spirit a lot. It's really great. The person of the Holy Spirit hovering over the waters. There is a connection between you and I. We're inhabited by the Holy Spirit. There is a connection between us and creation. The Spirit, the same Spirit that is in us, was hovering over the waters. Now, we can't feel that. We can't see that in a tangible sense. But again, for me as a historian, I just love that connection. I am part of God's creation and I am. He's had me in mind since the beginning. He's had you in mind since the beginning. The Spirit of God hovering over the waters. And then we move on to the, the Old Testament. And, okay, he's jumping on a bit. The Old Testament and the Spirit of God in the Old Testament. We've already talked about this a little bit earlier on. The Spirit being on Gideon, being on Joshua, being on Saul. First king of Israel, the Spirit was on Saul. Samson, we had a session on Samson, we had a series on Samson a while back, didn't we? Samson, you know, Saul and Samson, both very flawed men. The Spirit was eventually taken away from Saul. But Samson, you know, he had lots and lots of issues, but the Spirit of God was on him. The Spirit of God was on craftsmen. There were some craftsmen referred to in, in, in Exodus with the Spirit of God on The Spirit of God on very specific individuals in the Old Testament. They didn't experience the Spirit in the way that we do today. That is an amazing thing that's changed. Then we come to the, well, to come to Jesus first. So Jesus in the New Testament, talking about the Spirit being on him. And of course, at his baptism, what happened at his baptism? The Spirit came down in the form of a dove. 
and God spoke over him. Now this was before, probably, then would be before, he went to speak at the synagogue. So some of those people at the synagogue may have been vaguely aware of it. They probably weren't there for the most part. But they've been sensing, oh, so something, something a bit different going on with Jesus. Just a bit different. Spirit descending in the form of a dove, and God speaking, this is my son, whom I'm well pleased. So the Spirit on Jesus. And then we get to the New Testament, Acts 2. We've already had reference to it this morning. Thank you. The, uh, the upper room. And they saw what seemed... <coughs> They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire. And they separated. It wasn't just a big fire. They separated and went on to the individuals. God poured out his Holy Spirit and they spoke in tongues. And suddenly this Holy Spirit who had been... person of the Holy Spirit who had been put on specific individuals, this one here and this one here in the Old Testament, suddenly... Flowing out across the entire church, across all the believers. That was an amazing, amazing change. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me. And they could all say that. They could then all say that. It wasn't just limited to particular individuals, it was for each of them. And the Spirit was poured out on the early church. And then the Spirit was poured out on the people who came just after the early church, so the not-quite-so-early church. And then it was poured out on the people who came after them, the not-not-quite-so-early church. And then it came on the people who were just after the people who were not before the not-so-early church. And it came after generation after generation after generation of Christians, and it hasn't always been terribly evident, but the person of the Holy Spirit has been working through the church. Jesus has been building his church. Right down to who? Us. Us. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon who? Me. You. You. It's just transformational. Yeah. I know. So we're almost about time to go and have coffee now. Um, And then, what's going on? I mean, how can you hear that? Yeah, yeah. And we do, and I do. We come every Sunday, we hear great stuff being, being spoken, and then we go on. And, and, and the challenge for all of us, and the challenge for all of us yeah. is this season, is can we, what can we do differently? Yeah. What can we do? How can we... You know, we, we are not going to build the church. Jesus is going to build his yeah. church. Yeah. We just have to be receptive and willing and open. Mm. And the challenge for us, I think, in this coming season, the challenge for me and for you... Is just to make space yeah. for that Spirit, mm. the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit, the so- Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me. My challenge to myself and to us is can we make space in our lives, more space, yeah. for the Holy Spirit yeah. to move, to do His work? That is all we can do. Say, Lord, come and do your stuff. And what does that look like in practice? Well, some of us are reading through the Bible in a year. Uh, I did it last year, and we'll start again this year, and we'll share it on the group. Certainly not saying you have to read your Bible in a year. That's not a mandatory requirement. But reading the Bible is a good thing to do, whether you're reading the whole thing in a year, or whether you're just reading a small portion 
Every day, day, a day seems like a good measure because, you know, 24 hours, sunrise, sunset, it seems like a good way of measuring it. Trying to read the Bible once a day seems a good thing to do to me. Yeah. Don't always do it. Um, well, I did last year, actually, I think, because reading through the Bible. Um, but making space for the Holy Spirit, because if the, you know, the Word, living and active, sharper than a double-edged sword. Yeah. If you're not reading the Word, you can't get that in, it doesn't get into you. <laughs> Prayer, spending time praying. And again, prayer, well, prayer's great, you know, but I, I sit down with my Bible and I pray, and then I close my eyes to pray because that's what I think. Oh, yeah, what, what was that? Okay, that's what happens. Is, yeah. that, is it just me? Yeah. Is it just me? No. <laughs> pray, but you can pray when you're washing up. You can pray when you're doing the gardening. You can pray when you're washing the car. I, I won't ever do that because I never wash my car. Um, but you can pray continually. That's what pray continually means. It means just make prayer part of the like, conversation with God. Yeah. Talk to other Christians. Talk about God's stuff. Yeah. Let's go and have some coffee. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, what, what, are you going on holiday this year? Are you, what are you up to this year? Yeah, yeah. That's great. There's nothing wrong with that. And I'm certainly not saying that we should go the other way and just talk about God's stuff and become a little enclave of Christianese. No. But be willing to talk about God's stuff with Christians. Yeah. Be willing to allow the Holy Spirit to put you in situations where you're talking to people who aren't part of church, people who don't know Jesus about God. Mick's been talking about the three circles for a while. It's one of the techniques for helping people share the gospel. Uh, Maybe useful just to refresh yourself on that. Maybe think, actually, is that something that I could use in the right context? Again, be open. Holy Spirit, Lord, I, I want to speak to somebody today. I just want, actually, it may just be, I want to talk to someone today and just even just mention church or something or just mm. to Jesus. Yeah. You know, friend of, uh, no, friend, someone we knew a while back um, posted on Facebook at the start of this year and she posted something like, Rachel saw this, um, uh, last year was pretty rubbish. Please, universe, can I have a better year this year? And I've, I've heard a lot of people talk about the universe. Can the universe be I don't Anybody else hear that expression? Or is it just the circles that we move in? A lot of people talk about that. They talk about, oh, well, the universe bless us. What do they mean by that? Well, of course, they mean, well, they mean some higher power. Well, I would say, I don't know whether we did get back to them on this occasion, but my response, I think, my challenge on myself is next time someone says, oh, the universe, I want the universe to bless me, or the universe bless me, he says, you know what? I'm going beyond the universe. I want to go to the creator of the universe. I want him to bless me. I want to pray to him. I want to talk to him. So it's a challenge. You hear people say things like that. But at the end of the day, it's being open to the Holy Spirit. So in a minute, I'm going to ask you if you want to demonstrate your openness to the Holy Spirit in this coming year as part of the Seasons Church. I'm going to invite you, if you want to, to stand. Now, you don't have to stand, but I won't judge you if you don't stand. Standing isn't a sign that you're in or out. But one of the things that God has spoken to me about very much over the last couple of years is physicality. You know, we, have, we are physical beings. We're given bodies. Mm. And in the new creation, we're going to get bodies. Mm. Okay? A physical state is right and natural for us, and we will be in perfection in that one day. And I, you know, there's a guy in our old church who, who, didn't, uh, who didn't sort of engage in anything physical, didn't put his hands up. But he always said, Look, God knows that I'm worshipping on the inside. And God knows that I'm raising my hands and clapping and dancing on the inside. 
I know I could go along with that. It's very British, isn't it? But that's it. There's a part of me, and I've, so God's been speaking to me about this. Actually, I give you a body. Why don't you use it? And actually, when you do something with your body, it does send a message, firstly, to yourself. It sends a message to the person next to you. Okay, God looks on the heart, not the outside. So this is not, this is not, you know, I'm not putting pressure on people on that, from that point of view. God, God knows what you are on the inside. But there is, a, there is an aspect of our physicality that I've been challenged to engage with more. So I'm going to ask you to stand up. And also, there is an enemy. Now, Jesus, before he was baptized, went into the desert and was tempted by the devil. There is a very real enemy. Now, the enemy can't read your mind. He can send thoughts into your mind, but he can't read it. So when you act physically, and when you speak out loud, you are saying things and doing things that the enemy can see and hear. You are making a statement to yourself, to your neighbours, and also to the enemy. So that's a challenge for me, to be more physical in the way that I engage in worship. So, as I said, no pressure, and I appreciate people can't always stand and whatever, but in a moment I'm just going to ask you to, to stand, and then I'm, I'm going to pray, and then hand over to I don't want the musicians to come up just now, because I want everybody to... You'll be able to participate in this. We are a people of expectation. We are a people who believe that the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me. We want to see restoration in our town. We want to see restoration and rebuilding in our nation. We want to see that across the globe. But it starts here with me. And all I can do is say, Lord... I acknowledge the spirit of the Lord. Your Lord, your spirit is on me. Use me. Use me. So if you're if you're if you're happy to engage with me in that and, and, and go along with me in that, then please, if you're happy to stand, then please do as I said. We won't judge you. Put your hands out, maybe if you want, just as again as a demonstration that you're open to receiving the Holy Spirit again in the fresh. We believe that you receive the Holy Spirit when you become a Christian. In that moment of choosing faith, the Holy Spirit comes upon you, but there is an ongoing infilling of the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit can come upon us in particular times and particular ways. So I'll just leave it a moment. I'll just pause silently for a moment and then I'll pray. Lord Jesus, those of us who are here who acknowledge you as our Lord and Saviour, we acknowledge that the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me. And Lord, we want to be as open as we possibly can. I want to be as open as I possibly can to your Spirit moving in my life. And I acknowledge I don't always know what that looks like. And I don't know what I should necessarily be doing. But Lord, show me. I want to be open to you showing me and touching me and moving me. Lord, and I'm open to the entirely unexpected. And I acknowledge, Lord, that so often in the Old Testament and in the New, you, you use the unlikelies. You do things that take us by surprise. I'm open to that, Lord. Jesus, this is all about you and about building your kingdom because that is the best thing for us. That's what you made us for, to worship you. And you've given us freedom to choose that. So, Lord, we choose to move in your Holy Spirit, whatever that looks like, in the coming days and weeks and months. Amen. Oh, Lord. 
We've been reminded again, as we sang, and also just now as I spoke about, you went to that cross for us. You paid that price for us. You chose to walk through death for each one of us. Those in the room and those walking by on the street outside who don't acknowledge you or who may acknowledge you because somewhere else. Anyway, um, Lord, yeah, we just, we, you did it for us. Mm. We do not deserve it. Yeah. Well, there's nothing we can do to ever deserve that. And we thank you for that, Jesus. Mm. So I pray, Lord, a blessing on Weymouth Family Church for this coming season. I pray you'll bless each one of us, those in the room, those not in the room, Lord, all those associated with the church community here. We want to go forward in you, Jesus. We want to see your kingdom built. Mm. And may we take that away, Lord. Sovereign, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me. Now, the rest of today, the rest of the week, the rest of our lives, I pray, Lord, that your spirit will be upon us. For your name, Jesus. Amen. 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 Amen.